Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hard-working farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I'm suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Thanks, Tom. Do keep 2 Timothy chapter 2 open in front of you so you can see that. I'm going to pray again as we come to God's word. Our Father in heaven, we have just sung, where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. Father, please speak to us now so that we may have life. Amen. Well, as I said at the start of our, our time together, this is uh, now week two of our new series looking at this letter uh, to Timothy together. Uh, and if you were here, if you were with us last week, uh, we began, didn't we, by thinking a bit about the state of the gospel in the UK. Uh, we thought about how Christians and the church in general is, is portrayed in the media. Uh, and we thought a bit about our own experience whether that's in the office or the classroom or at the school gate. And as I've thought about that kind of question about the state of the gospel a little bit more this week, it struck me that one of the big changes over the last decade or so has been that Christians have, have gone from generally being thought of as some of the good guys in society to now being thought of as some of the bad guys. Uh, that, that change was uh, brought home to me in a book that I read recently. Uh, it's here called Being the Bad Guys by Stephen McAlpine. Um, in his introduction, he says this. Just listen uh, to what he says. Only a few generations ago, Christianity was the good guy, uh, the solution to what was bad. Rather than being on the wrong side of the law, we were the law. Christian morality was assumed. The cultural, legal, and political power structures affirmed us. But then something changed. Over the course of the 20th century, we became just one of the guys. One option among many. If Christianity worked for you, then fine. And if it didn't, also fine. 
Most of us think we still live in that world. Christian books and sermons and podcasts all assume that we do. But the problem is that's not where we are now. The tide has shifted further. Increasingly, Christianity is viewed as the bad guy. It's no longer an option, it's a problem. The cultural, political and legal guns that Christianity once held are now trained on us. And it's happened quickly. We feel that we're on the wrong side of history, the wrong side of so many issues and conversations. It's come as a surprise. We're not sure how it happened. We don't like it. And we don't feel we deserve it. But we are the bad guys now. I don't know what you, you make of that assessment of the state of our society at the moment, but it's hard to deny, isn't it, that Christians in the UK increasingly find themselves at odds with the culture and the society around us. And so as the, as the pressure increases, as the, the heat of opposition is turned up, the question we find ourselves facing is, what will we do? What do we do? That's the question that we face as, as a church, collectively, but it's also the question we face as individuals. What will we do? It's also the question that Timothy finds himself facing at the time of this letter that we've just had read. As we began to see last week, Paul is writing to Timothy, and it's a time of gospel crisis. Opposition is increasing, and so as Paul sits in a Roman prison cell, he writes to Timothy back in chapter 1, verse 15, you know, Timothy, that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me. The pressure has got too much for them, says Paul. They have abandoned me, and so abandoned the gospel. Paul is alone. The gospel is in crisis. All have abandoned him. And so now, at the start of chapter 2, he turns his attention to his last man standing, to Timothy. And his focus shifts from those who have deserted him at the end of chapter 1 to Timothy now at the start of chapter 2. It's as though he says, what about you, Timothy? What about you, my son? What will you do? All in Asia have deserted me, but what about you? Timothy, will you guard the gospel? Or will you give up on it? Will you stand with me? Or will you abandon me like the rest? What about you? That's the question that we come to at the start of chapter 2. I think it's actually the question that lies at the heart of this letter. And so it's the question that we're going to think a bit about this evening. And in the first half of chapter 2, Paul shows Timothy what this choice is going to involve. He shows Timothy and us what we need to know, what we need to be if we're going to stand with him, if we're going to keep on guarding the gospel, even if it makes us one of the bad guys. And so the first thing Paul says is you need to be strong in grace. Be strong in grace. Look at chapter 2, verse 1 with me. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. It's really important that we understand that, that Paul isn't writing this letter just telling Timothy to man up, 
This is not some sort of motivational speech telling him to, to draw on some sort of inner strength to, to meet the challenges that he might face. No, no, Paul knows that just like the rest of us, Timothy is weak. Uh, he knows that when the going gets tough, uh, most of us don't get going, we just give up. We give in. He knows that left to ourselves, there is no way that we would keep going in the face of opposition. No way we would deliberately choose the path of pain if we thought there was another option. But Paul knows that even his top man, Timothy, will be tempted to give in. But rather than, rather than shout kind of motivational messages at him from the sideline, Paul takes the opportunity to remind him of the gospel of grace. Because he knows that is where true strength lies. How does the gospel of grace strengthen us? Well, it strengthens us as it reminds us of our utter dependence upon God. You see, it's in the gospel that we come to realize that, that by ourselves we are completely helpless. As Paul says in his letter to the Ephesian church, uh, that without Christ we are dead, dead in our sins. We are helpless and hopeless. We deserve nothing but God's judgment. But Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 says, Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, has made us alive in Christ. It's by grace you have been saved, says Paul. Because of his mercy and grace, God has sent his Son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place, to bring forgiveness and life to all who trust in him. And so as we saw last week in chapter 1, verse 8, if you look there, Paul says, this salvation is not because of anything that we have done, but because of God's own purpose and grace. In other words, salvation is a, it's a free gift of God. You don't earn it, you don't deserve it, it's given to you. It's by God's grace that helpless sinners like us are made alive in Christ. But the, the key thing here is that the grace, it's not just something that kind of gets us going in the Christian life. It's not like jump-starting a car, good to get us going, but no longer needed once we're on the road. No, God's grace is much more like the fuel for the Christian life. It's God's grace, says Paul, that strengthens and sustains us. We are always dependent upon grace. It is by God's grace that we can keep going and keep growing as God's children. And so Paul reminds Timothy here that the grace that saved him is the grace that now strengthens him. Strengthens him for this task of guarding the gospel. Timothy needs to remember and so be strong in God's grace. And it's this, this gospel of grace and no other gospel, as we're going to see, that, that he must pass on to others. Verse 2, And the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. The gospel of grace is a precious gift, says Paul. 
It is the message of salvation and life for all who believe. It is precious, and so as we saw last week, it must be passed on. We don't keep it to ourselves. We give it away, says Paul. And for Timothy, to to guard this message, to, to guard the gospel, he must pass it on to others. And in verse 2, Paul says who it is he must pass it on to. Entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach or to pass it on to others. In other words, for Timothy and for leaders like him, Paul says that guarding this gospel means, it means finding trustworthy, reliable people to equip, to, to train up in gospel ministry. It means finding godly men and women and equipping them to pass on the gospel to others. Training up godly, gifted gospel workers is essential, says Paul. It it is vital. But it's also something that is so easily neglected, isn't it? There are always things, aren't there, in in church life that that seem more pressing than this. Always things that that seem more urgent than investing in and training up others. But Paul says, no, this is crucial for guarding the gospel. You need to find reliable, trustworthy people to pass it on to who can then teach others. That's why it's really brilliant that we have recently appointed Steve Bialy to oversee training here at King's Church. It's why we value that so much. Because we want to guard the gospel by passing it on to people who can in turn pass it on to others. But it's not just people like Steve, is it? It's not just people like him who can be involved in this sort of work. As we, as we began to see last week, all of us, whether we are in positions of leadership or not, have this responsibility to pass on the gospel to other people. That can happen in, in all sorts of different ways. A really simple way that this could happen is for you to, to find a younger Christian in age or in how long they have been a Christian and commit to, to meeting with them regularly, to read the Bible with them, to read a good Christian book with them. There's some uh, discounted prices at the back. You can speak to me afterwards. <laughs> Read a good Christian book with them uh, and pray with them. But then also to, to think about this, to think about how you can help them to go on and do the same thing with somebody else. Do you see that's, that's the, those are the steps in that verse? Uh, find people and then find people who will then go on and find someone else. Encourage and equip them to pass on the gospel to the next person. You don't have to have a theology PhD. You don't need to be a pastor to pass on the gospel to somebody else. It can happen in all sorts of ways. But the point is, Paul says, it must happen. And we must do it not relying on ourselves, not not having confidence in, in our ability or our strength, but in the grace of God, being strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. It's relying on God's strength that leads us to the second thing that Paul's going to say. Because passing on the gospel, as we've just described, it's not always easy, is it? It's not just about having a nice cup of coffee in the well and reading a good Christian book with someone. No, passing on the gospel can be tough. 
as we've started to see in this letter, it involves suffering. And so Paul says you've got to be strong in God's grace and you also need to be aware of the cost. Look at verse 3. He says, join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Passing on the gospel is tough, says Paul. You've got to be prepared to suffer. And in verses 4 to 6, he he gives three pictures, three images of uh, professions that involve some sort of suffering or or hardship as part of what they do. Uh, First, there's the soldier. Verse 4, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. If a soldier's going to do his job well, Paul says he can't get distracted. If he's going to be effective in battle, he's got to remain focused, completely committed to his commanding officer. And Paul says the same is true for us. If we're going to guard the gospel, well, we can't afford to get distracted. We've got to avoid the temptation to to get wrapped up in all sorts of other things. And I don't know about you, but I find avoiding distraction particularly challenging. We live in an age of distraction. Whether it's social media, Netflix, the gym, our children's education, holiday plans, retirement plans. It doesn't really matter what. It is so easy to distract ourselves from this task of guarding the gospel. And please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. There isn't anything wrong with those things. They are good gifts from God that we can enjoy. But it's so easy, isn't it? It is so easy for those things to become our priority in life. For decisions about our diary and our bank account to be dictated by all sorts of things, except for this. Except for guarding the gospel. And so Paul says to Timothy and to us, don't be distracted. Focus on the job at hand. Live to please your commanding officer. Be a good soldier. And then verse 5, be an honest athlete. Verse 5, similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The athlete has to compete according to the rules. They must avoid the temptation to cheat to take shortcuts or to look for loopholes. And so Paul says there are no suffering-free loopholes when it comes to guarding the gospel. You can't guard the gospel and at the same time avoid all opposition. It just doesn't happen. You can't guard the gospel and then choose to duck out out of every difficult conversation. You can't guard the gospel and then expect a life of maximum comfort and minimum sacrifice. No, you've got to compete according to the rules, says Paul. And then thirdly, there's the dedicated farmer in verse 6. The hard-working farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. The farmer knows that he must avoid the temptation to be lazy. They know they can only expect a harvest if they're willing to put in the hard work beforehand. And so Paul says we we too must avoid the temptation to laziness. If you're going to guard the gospel, then you need to be willing to put in the hard work of gospel service. The hard work of praying. 
the hard work of investing in relationships both in and out of the church. The hard work of fighting sin and striving for holiness. We must work hard like the farmer. And so can you see, Paul says, look, if you, if you want to guard the gospel, if you, if you really want to do this, if you want to pass it on to others, then you've got to be aware of the cost. You need to know it's going to mean being focused, not distracted. Honest, not a cheat. Dedicated, not lazy. Be strong in grace, says Paul. Be aware of the cost, and then finally be confident in Christ. If you want to keep going, if you want to keep guarding, then, verse 8, you need to remember Jesus Christ. You need to remember that he is the king who suffered in death and then was raised to glory. Verse 8, remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. Next week, we're going to see that, that some of the opposition that Timothy faced came from false teachers. False teachers who claimed that the resurrection had already happened for Christians. That we can and should experience the full glory of resurrection life in the here and now. That's what they were claiming. But Paul says, no, 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 that's not the gospel at all. The true gospel, the the gospel that Timothy must pass on, is the message that though Jesus was the Christ, though he was God's promised king, descended from David. He chose to suffer for the sake of his people. Jesus is the king who died before he rose. And so the pattern that he laid down for us is one of suffering now, glory later. That's my gospel, says Paul. That's the true gospel Uh, That's the gospel that I'm suffering for. End of verse 8, this is my gospel for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. The true gospel is suffering now, glory later, says Paul. Which means Timothy can be sure, he can be confident that, that Paul's suffering is not a sign of failure as the false teachers were claiming but instead is a sign of true, authentic gospel ministry. And so rather than lose confidence in Paul, Timothy can have complete confidence, knowing that the apostle is following in the footsteps of his suffering king that he proclaims. And again, this is so important for us to remember, isn't it? Because when the gospel seems weak, and its its messengers seem even weaker, When the church is marginalized and persecuted, when suffering comes, it is so easy for us to think we must be doing something wrong. We lament the fact that Christians are no longer the good guys in society. We're shocked to find that people don't really like it when we tell them about Jesus. And so we lose confidence. We question ourselves. We even question the gospel. But Paul says, remember Jesus Christ. Remember that his life was suffering now, glory later. Have confidence in him, the king who died before he rose. And then verse 9, have confidence in his word. 
At verse 9, this is my gospel for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Though it might not always seem like it, though we might not always see immediate results, Paul says we can be certain, we can be confident that this good news, this gospel of Jesus Christ is unstoppable. It is unchained. God works through his word, which means we can, we should keep speaking it, keep passing it on. Because, verse 10, it's through God's word, through the gospel, that that people are brought to salvation. And so Paul says he will endure hardship. He will face pain and persecution. And he will keep on preaching because this is how God saves people. Through this gospel. Remember, the risen Jesus will give it, remembering the risen Jesus will give us confidence as we speak the gospel in the present, as we pass it on. And it will give us confidence for our future. Verse 11, here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. Do you see suffering now? glory later. Paul says if we are united with Christ in his death, if we endure suffering for his sake, then we can have absolute confidence that we will be united with him in his life. We can be confident that that no matter what hardship we face, no matter what suffering we endure, we will be raised with Christ. We will reign with him forever. That is the future for those who belong to Jesus. Suffering now. Glory later. Uh, but notice the warning as well in verse 12. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Paul knew that, that abandoning the gospel might seem like the easy option. When everyone else in Asia had deserted him, the temptation must have been so strong for Timothy to do the same. He knows that that it might feel more comfortable, it might feel more safe to abandon it altogether. When suffering and hardship comes, the temptation will always be to give up, to leave it all behind. That was the temptation for Timothy. It is still the temptation for us. But be warned, says Paul. If you disown Jesus, then he will disown you. If you turn your back on him, if you you choose to walk away from him for good, well, then he is faithful to his word. And he will turn his back on you. And so we come back to the question that we began with what about you what will you do uh, Paul says will you, will you disown Jesus when the going gets tough will you, will you give up on him or will you keep going will you keep guarding the gospel will you be strengthened by God's grace knowing that, that you can't do this by yourself Not a chance. But God can do it for you. Will you be aware of the cost? 
knowing that there is no loophole, there is no easy alternative. And importantly, will you be confident in Christ, knowing that he is risen and he is reigning, that his word is unstoppable. And so if you trust him, if you, if you cling to him, then your life is utterly secure and nothing can take you from his hand. What about you? Let's pray together.